Hennebishes. Welcome to High Tea. High Tea is a high vibe cannabis entertainment company for women who also love weed. This is a thoughtful and blunt exploration of pot and its magic, the role it has in the lives and processes of cool and creative people everywhere, and an evolving cannabis culture we're seeing happen before our very eyes. We're elevating perceptions with every episode. Listen up as we go in. Welcome back, my cannabishes, to High Tea Life, a full-spectrum exploration of pot and her magic, helping culture embrace cannabis. I am your grateful host, Jennifer Newton, also known as Newts, and this is season two of your favorite podcast. We've had a lot going on over here at High Tea HQ. If you didn't know, we just dropped our first of many fire shop drops in our new e-commerce experience, Zhuzh. This is a celebration of the magic in every one of us that Mama Wana, amongst other things, helps unlock. That's cjujz.com, so keep posted up in there for limited edition drops with hand-chosen artists and makers in the best of cannabis culture. We are also going on the road with our rolling parlors. Whoop, whoop. We'll be in Toronto, Calgary, and Montreal before the end of the year, so make sure you don't miss us. Join the invite list at hightea.life. We've also got some new content coming at you, but that's all we're going to say about that now. First episode of season two of High Tea, where we are going to talk to entrepreneurs, activists, doctors, actresses, athletes, you name it, (laughs) in a deeper exploration of the power of the plant. So today, let's go straight to the source and talk to the power of the plant for our health and wellness with one of my favorite tweeters. Dr. Michael Hart is one of the world's most foremost experts on medical cannabis and one of our country's pioneers in the space for implementing cannabis into his therapeutic toolbox, say, within his patient practice. Also, apparently, ketamine. He's the co-author of Amazon bestseller, Friendly Fire, Why Vets Are Lighting Up and Ditching Pills to Treat PTSD. And his point of view has landed him on Joe Rogan. So make sure you guys check that out after you've listened to our episode, of course. So my chat with him last night has got me thinking ever since. It was so insightful and enlightening. And it's had me realizing that perhaps cannabis's lesson for us is exactly what it gifts or delivers to our physical and mental states, and that is balance. My favorite book ever, Cannabis and Spirituality, go get that if you don't get that, says, the benefits of marijuana, whoop, we're going to call that cannabis. The the benefits of cannabis are far-ranging, long-term, and not as instantaneous as the high. In the short run, the equilibrium that occurs is only temporary and it reverses as soon as the high wears off. So the cannabis experience itself does not miraculously cure. Instead, it allows the body a respite from the tension of imbalance while exposing the mental confusions of the mind. Although in the near term, balance is easily lost, the essential tendency to homeostatic habituation, otherwise known as health, develops over time. 
in the long run, then, cannabis can serve as the vehicle by which the body-mind heals itself. So listen up as I ask Dr. Mike Hart anything and everything I've ever wanted to know about cannabis for our health and wellness. And we answer some listener questions too. This is season two of High Tea Life. So we are here with Dr. Mike Hart, somebody who I've wanted to talk to for a very long time and who in actuality I have talked to before, but we won't talk about that today. <laughs> Hi. Hi. How are you? Good. I'm, gl- I'm glad to be here. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. It's nice to meet you in person in real life and like do the thing in real life. I, I think so, you know, so much better. I know the first time we kind of just did the audio thing, but I think that maybe, uh, you know, it didn't record so that we could meet each other in person. So it recorded, it but out. it crashed. So blame Mercury or whatever. But I trust the universe, divine timing. And here we are. So can you tell me how you got here? Like, and I don't mm. mean by here in the hotel room that we're in. I mean, how did we get to a place where you're a doctor out in the real, real world shouting loud about the benefits of cannabis? Sure. So uh, I uh, graduated from, from medical school uh, in 2010, did my residency at the University of Western Ontario. So I started practicing medicine in 2013, and then I started prescribing cannabis in 2014. And the reason I started prescribing cannabis was because there was just a lot of patients who weren't getting adequate relief. Uh, you know, they uh, were using medications and uh, they weren't getting uh, any type of, of benefit from it. And in fact, sometimes it's making things worse. Uh, and this has you know, domino ha- effect of problems, right? Exactly. And, you know, it's I knew that it would be effective for a lot of different mental health disorders. I knew it would be effective for insomnia. You know, I knew it would be effective for pain. Uh, so that's why, you know, I got into to medical cannabis. And that's what kind of, you know, brings me here today. And, you know, that's why I do like uh, discussing it is because a lot of patients have benefited from medical cannabis and they are doing very, very well. And, you know, it has helped a lot of patients wean off of several different pharmaceuticals. Pharmaceuticals. So, you know, I uh, I continue to to use cannabis, uh, and I think that you know in the future we're going to see more and more physicians using cannabis um, as as a, a medical treatment. Yeah, I think I call it poly polypharmacism or polypharmaculture, and I think it's a, like one of our biggest issues. Yeah. So uh, polypharmacy actually that's a really good point because that's a big issue with a lot of seniors. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it definitely happens to, group, to to yeah. people who aren't seniors as well, but you know. It's it's uh, it's not uncommon for to encounter a senior and for them to be on you know eight to ten different medications, mm-hmm. right? And you know the beauty about cannabis uh, is that it can help treat so many different conditions. Mm-hmm. So you know people who are elderly, you know they often can't sleep well at night. You know so cannabis can be great for that. People who are elderly, uh, they often have a lot of chronic pain. Cannabis can, can be great for that. And a lot of elderly people are on uh, mood disorder medications as well. So they have a lot of depression. They have a lot of anxiety. You know, using cannabis can, can be really helpful for that. So, you know, I think that um, for for people who uh, are um, using a lot of different medications, they can, in fact, wean themselves off those medications with cannabis because cannabis does have so many different indications. That's amazing. So... Now, you're not just talking about the benefits of the plant. Like, you're bringing this to the people, and you have a clinic that is what I like to call 420 friendly, right? It's just trying to figure out how to appropriately bring it into your life, 
based on your health and wellness. Right. So I have a family medicine clinic, so it's called Ready to Go Clinic. But, you know, primarily what I do there is cannabis medicine. So, you know, I just see cannabis as being, uh, you know, another tool in the toolbox that family physicians can use. And, you know, that's my approach to it. So, you know, I still do use other medicines. You know, recently, you know, um, I was actually published because uh, I use ketamine for, for some patients and they got some excellent results with that. So, you know, that's not the only uh, medicine that, that I use. But yes, primarily, you know, the thing that we do uh, do at Ready to Go Clinic is that we do family medicine and we just uh, see cannabis as part of that. Okay, we're going to talk about the ketamine thing. Sure. <laughs> okay. But before we do, can you explain to me why something that is, I mean, it's not a panacea by any stretch, but can you explain to me why something that is so beneficial for so many different ailments, for so many different people at so many different points in their lives, and not to mention our endocannabinoid system, why was all of that ignored by the medical community until very recently? So I think there's a couple different reasons for that. You know, I think the main one though is that it's always been a schedule one drug. So because it's a schedule one drug, you can't study it. And because you can't study it and research it, then physicians aren't comfortable prescribing it. Because if something's gonna be built into the medical guidelines, generally there has to be uh, a considerable amount of, of research and evidence from randomized controlled trials. And unfortunately, you know, we do not have a ton of randomized controlled trials on cannabis. Now, that being said, we still have lots of other evidence. We have, we have lots of, of associations. We have lots of epidemiological studies. We have lots of uh, animal model studies. We have lots of anecdotal evidence. So, you know, in my opinion, all that together is definitely enough to use and prescribe medical cannabis. But unfortunately, you know, for mainstream medical physicians, until there's a ton of randomized control trials, and until it gets built into the medical guidelines, into the curriculum, and into the medical school curriculum, which is, you know, something which we're not taught about any about in, in medical school, we're not taught about cannabis at all, you know, until that gets built into the curriculum, I think that you're going to see a lot of physicians that are still going to be extremely apprehensive prescribing medical cannabis. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm sorry to give that message today, but, you know, I think that uh, that, that is you know, what, what's going to happen. And that's the reason why. Oh yeah. I mean, my dad has Parkinson's bless him. And all of his doctors are basically saying no, like they won't even kind of have the conversation. And he him. has Parkinson's you yeah. said. Okay. So that's kind of interesting. I mean, I've probably got, um, you know, probably somewhere north of 50, but south of 100 patients on, on cannabis for Parkinson's. And, you know, I would say, you know, most of those patients experience at least a 30 up to a 50% decrease in their tremors when they, when they use cannabis. It can also help with their gait as well. You know, a lot of patients, like we just talked about, uh, have trouble sleeping. Mm -hmm. A lot of patients with Parkinson's have trouble sleeping. It's a big issue. And um, also the depression. And you yeah, and, yourself, and, and right? the, yeah, and, and the depression, you know, they have this kind of like flat look on their face all all right. the time. Well, you're mourning who you were. You're mourning who you were. And even just from lack of sleep alone, you can become depressed. You can become mm -hmm. anxious. Mm -hmm. You know, I guarantee anybody, you know, listening to this podcast right now, you know, if you sleep, if you sleep two or three hours tonight, you know, you're not going to feel very well the next day. Your low, your, you know, your overall well-being is going to be really low. I feel so, like hell. <gasps> yeah, Jesus. exactly. Okay. So I, 
now understand, thank you, why cannabis has been ignored by the medical community, but I don't understand why the endocannabinoid system has. Can you tell me a little bit more about what it is and how it works? Sure. So uh, the endocannabinoid system is something that we have in our bodies. You know, so whenever someone uses the word endo, that means inside our bodies. Whenever someone uses the word exo, etymology. That that means <laughs> outside of our bodies. So endocannabinoids means that we are making cannabinoids. And you know, there actually was uh, a gentleman by the name of Dr. Ethan Russo who coined the term clinical endocannabinoid deficiency. Okay. So he believes that we can actually be deficient in cannabinoids, and that several different different conditions uh, are associated with that. So migraines, fibromyalgia, and IBS. So he, he actually believes that, you know, there's, there's patients who are actually deficient in cannabinoids. So just like, you know, patients can be deficient in hormones, they can be deficient in vitamins, you know, they can also become deficient in cannabinoids. I think that's what I have. You might. I have two out of those three things. Which ones do you have? You I have don't migraines? know what fibromyalgia is, but okay. I get terrible migraines okay. ever since my 20s, like crazy ones, um, including a curious one I'll talk to you about offline. And maybe I should talk to you about it now, actually. I get a migraine called orgasmic syphilgia. Have you heard of that? Uh, that's not something I'm very familiar with, no. It's, it's the name. The truth is in the name okay. of etymology. It's like okay. at the point it okay. flips into a migraine. Wow, that's and the uh, only cure is abstinence for like two to three weeks, and it's most commonly found in like middle-aged white men. Okay, isn't it weird? That is uh, a really interesting finding. It's something I get I'd other like ones to, too. I'd though. like to look into. Yeah, Google that one. Google guys. Uh, okay, so I won't ask you about that. But anyway, I might have endocannabinoid deficiency now. Is that maybe why some people are? magnetized or find themselves compelled towards the plant and other people other people don't because it's actually doing what it is is homeostasis the plants are in behind you are like calling me i think what what it would be is that like if you are in fact deficient in it you're gonna have a much better clinical response I see. so say if we have two people who have migraines and one of them is in fact deficient in cannabinoids and the other person isn't you know by giving uh, both of those people cannabinoids you're probably going to get a better response from the person who's deficient than from the person who is not deficient per se so i think that you know the people who are saying that man my migraine comes from like a 10 to a zero when i use cannabis you know they probably are deficient in in cannabinoids that probably is you know the underlying you know etiology that's causing them to have a migraine where as, you know, someone who says that they use cannabis and it takes their migraine from a 10 to a seven or a five, something like that, you know, which is still very good relief. Uh, but, you know, they may not, in fact, be deficient in cannabinoids. And, you know, the, the treatment then is more or less just uh, treating the symptoms, which is still fine. That's still an excellent treatment. But, you know, you're going to probably get more of a response if there's a deficiency. Okay. So, on the other end of the spectrum, can you overdose on cannabis? And I ask that in a spectrum of ways. Number one, in just a gen obviously there's a general like habitual balance issue, mm -hmm. which I'm wondering, do you believe that's the biggest risk? Or can you go so far as to have a hormonal imbalance out of your cannabis or cannabinoid use and then can you go so far as to be so sick that you have cannabinoid hyperemesis? Okay, so 
Um, just ask you for your first question like again. Like, if there, you, sorry? basically, can you overdose? Okay, so obviously, like psychologically, okay, so, sure, mentally, sure. or so physically. Number one, you know, I, I want to say this, and I know most people have probably heard heard this before, but you can't die from ingesting cannabis. So you can't overdose. You know, overdose is a term that we often use when people uh, are dead. So, I meant so, so, sorry, so, so, so I should have clarified. No, I meant, no, can you have too much? That's okay. Uh, of course you can. So you can't overdose and die from cannabis, but can you overdose and have a bad experience? Absolutely. So, you know, one way that, uh, you know, I've talked about before with regards to, to preventing uh, an overdose on cannabis is that if you're going to use edibles, what you need to do is that you need to use them slowly and you need to do it carefully. So if you take an edible, you do not want to take another edible for at least two hours later because if you take a little bit of THC and you don't think that you're feeling anything and then you take a little bit more, later on, both of those doses are going to kick in. There's nothing you can do about it. You've taken too much and you might, as some people you know, say, they'll green out. You know, what, what happens when that happens? You know, basically, people get really, really sick to their stomach. Uh, you know, they, feel, they feel very, very disoriented. They feel paranoid. They have hallucinations. Um, you know, I greened a friend out on my weed not so long ago. He literally went unconscious and we had to, he went unconscious four times. That's and he ha we had to call the paramedics and then they just let him go and like whoop whoop the siren as he walked away. Yeah, well, I he mean. He's obviously very sensitive. The thing so. is like, unfortunately, you know, uh, there's not much that the people at the hospital can do exactly. when, when someone does use too much THC. What you need to do is you just need to let it ride out and make sure you're and not then, having a heart and attack. Then, and you also, too, you know, the one thing that I will say, you know, if you are uh, with someone who is having one of these really bad experiences, the one thing that you can say to them is that it will go away. So 100% of people who have experienced a green out have survived. So just remember that, you know, if you're having a freak out, if you've used too much cannabis, just know that this has happened to millions of people before for many years and no one has ever died from it. So you don't need to freak out. And the way that you're feeling now, if you're feeling super paranoid off cannabis is going to pass. You know, that's the message that you should be delivering to those people when they are in fact having a little bit of a freak out. So can your can too much cannabis send someone's hormone system out of balance like a female like I got a lot of questions about females using uh using cannabis when they were trying to get pregnant throughout pregnancy and breastfeeding. Okay. Well, I think the one of the biggest indicator or indications for cannabis for women, you know, in my my practice anyway, is endometriosis. You know, a lot of 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 women struggle with huge with, issue. with pelvic pain. And, you know, some people just have the endometriosis right around their cycle, whereas some people have it almost the whole month. Mm. So, you know, uh, two different kind of kind of types there. Um, but a lot of patients have really responded well to uh, to, to cannabis for endometriosis. So it can be really effective for, for pain control. You know, I saw a girl uh, yesterday, I believe it was, and she says, you know, she misses, you know, three or four days a month because of endometriosis. Um, and cannabis can, in fact, be, you know, a very effective treatment for that. And just staying on topic with regards to the hormones, you know, a lot of, of guys always ask me, you know, does cannabis lower my testosterone levels? And 
all the human studies show, so far have shown that uh, cannabis does not lower testosterone levels to a significant level. So there might be a dip, but it's not anything significant or anything that, that you're going to feel. So, you know, that's something just, just to keep in mind for the guys out there. Cool. Okay. So, and what are your thoughts on cannabis hyperemesis syndrome? So I think that, you know, it's, it's valid. I think that it does, it does exist. Um, you know, you can't have people just, you know, showing up at emergency rooms, you know, fairly frequently, um, and always, you know, with a hot water bottle, I've seen it before. Begging for a hot shower. Yeah. Begging for, for a hot shower. I mean, there must be something going on. I think there's some, I mean, I'm going to tell you, I, I'm pretty barfy and a hot shower is a really good place to be. Yeah, I mean, I mean, in general, I mean, if you're sad, get in the get the fuck in there. I mean, seriously, a hot shower can, can make your day better. It really can. But I kind of do like the contrast showers, like the cold showers. No. The cold showers are actually my favorite. Uh, but yeah, coming back to your question, uh, I do think that it is valid. I do think that that it is real, you know. And it comes back to what we were talking about earlier, you know, about addiction and taking too much. You know, you can use too much THC. You know, I recommend to my patients, you know, try your best just to use CBD in the day, then at night, then use more of like a one-to-one strain. You know, if you have to use, you know, a heavy cush sometimes, you know, fine, but just make it just for, you know, crisis situations or, you know, once or twice a week, stuff like that. Like using it every single night, you can develop a tolerance to it. So, you know, you do want to avoid that. I know, you know, in the cannabis community, a lot of people say that that doesn't, you know, that's not true. I mean, it's not true for, for CBD. You know, I have patients uh, who are on the same dose now that they were five years ago, say for something like seizures or for anxiety, they've never needed to increase the dose. If you, and the same can, can be said too for, for, in my experience, for people using one-to-one ratio. So you can use THC every night, but you should use it with CBD. My experience though is that if people are using only high THC every single night, you know, if they go a night without it, they're going to like freak out. Okay. So, you know, you, you want to avoid being one of those people. You don't, you want to use cannabis as a tool that makes your life better, that makes you healthier. You don't want it to be something that you're completely dependent on, that if you don't have it, you know, your whole life is over, everything's ruined and your night's ruined and you can't get through your day, you know, so you want to avoid being that type of cannabis patient. I love it. It's like cannabis's lesson for us is exactly what it does to our body and it like delivers us back to balance and if we abuse it yeah we ain't using it right exactly yeah. if you're if you're using it too much and you know you're, you're starting getting these these feelings that you need it all the time that you're craving it all the time you know take that as a sign that you're using a little bit too much okay noted okay so on that note like how do you balance talking about something that is ultimately a medicine, but is also so fucking fun? Because we constantly have this conversation between mad rag, mad rag, who are you? How did you get into that? Nah, nah, nah. And then I've noticed that actually the industry is starting to call daily users wellness users because for whatever reason, the CBD, THC, you know, et cetera, et cetera, endocannabinoid combination is making them feel better on a day-to-day basis. How do we balance something that is sort of both things? 
and and even talk about that responsibly sure yeah so i mean i think that's uh, that's a reasonable thing to discuss because you know there are people who say for instance if you have seizures and you use you know cbd uh, and then you don't have seizures anymore you know how can you say that 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 person didn't use a medicine right so i think that you know we're, we're starting to establish that and more people are are respecting cannabis as a medicine you know are there people who use it recreationally uh of course you know are there people who abuse it recreationally of course so you know abusers recreationally as we said you know they'll basically just use really high thc cannabis every night and develop uh, a tolerance to that and then once they develop that that tolerance you know they're going to be very dependent upon it and then without it uh you know they're not going to they're, they're going to be miserable um you know and and they're not going to feel themselves they're going to have a lot of irritability so for those types of people you know they're not really using it recreationally and they're not using it you know medicinally because they're, they're basically just abusing the medicine um you know someone who may you know use it recreationally say appropriately um you know and cannabis has been legal now in, in canada for for over you know a year um you know there we have safe alcohol guidelines in canada so you know we say that uh women can have up to nine drinks uh a, a week safely and that uh, men can have up to 14 uh, drinks a week safely and you know in my opinion as well um you know being uh sober uh, 100% of the time um, is not necessarily like a, a badge of honor. I think that that's really good for people who have had past traumas and that have had past substance abuse issues. You know, there's lots of examples of people who have, you know, successfully um, quit, you know, whatever they were using and they've never gone, gone back. Uh, and, and sobriety has worked really well for them. I mean, there's lots of celebrities. I know Eminem has, I know Steve-O has, I know there's, there's, there's lots of them, um, out there. Um, but you know, for, for some people, you know, being sober all the time may in fact not be the healthiest thing because that slight break, that, that dissociation that you get, you know, can be really therapeutic overall. So, you know, to talk about it recreationally, you know, uh, for sure, you know, I don't think it, I don't, don't disagree with the, uh, with the Canadian guidelines on alcohol. I think, you know, if you have, um, you know, nine drinks a week for a woman, 14 drinks a week for a man, and it, and if it takes, if it takes away, you know, a little bit of stress and it makes you feel better, um, you know, I, I think that's great. You know, obviously if it's taken away stress in some ways, you know, that's that, that you could say that it's used, um, medicinally but you know overall uh i think that as long as you don't exceed exceed those those recommendations then you know you're you're going to be in, in the safe zone and then coming back to cannabis you know i think that using cannabis um as a substitute over over alcohol uh you know to to get that dissociative effect to get that break that you're seeking is is uh is something that's reasonable you know um a lot of people would and including myself would argue that it's even uh it, it, that it's more healthy you know particularly because there's no calories in it uh you know alcohol is filled with with empty calories so i wasn't thinking know. calories i was thinking carcinogens I mean, I think alcohol is one of the biggest carcinogens in society that nobody talks about. And meanwhile, on the other end of the spectrum, not to make this conversation about one versus the other, but on the other end of the spectrum, you have something actually helping cure a cancer situation. I mean, I was recently hospitalized 
for being sick and they were sure it was cannabis hyperemesis. And meanwhile, I was like, well, talk to me about the fact that I had three drinks last night and I never drink and I had an empty stomach and hot flaming Cheetos. But let's keep going. (laughs) Those are some bad decisions right there. Some very bad decisions. Okay. So going back to what you were saying about the balance between CBD and THC and finding balance in our own practice. I personally think THC is like societally demonized somewhat. I'm happy that there's a huge narrative around CBD and a huge acceptance around it. But there are a lot of people who, when it comes to real pain, need THC. And, you know, we'll flip into some of the questions that I got for you to close. And the first one was from my mom, who is only cool with CBD and is very much not willing to touch the plant in any other way, but truly doesn't believe that it's helping her or affecting her. But she's scared of THC. So she's dipped her toes in in real pain situations to a one-to-one kind of spray situation. But her question is, she knows she needs it, but she's scared of it. So what did you do? Okay. Is it a talk to your doctor situation? Yeah. So, I mean, there, there's a couple different things I'll say on that. You know, the first thing I'll say is that, um, you know, I like you bringing up the fact that, that the THC in some ways has been demonized compared to CBD. You know, there are some indications where, where THC is better. Um, you know, I, and again, I wish it, I wish it, it wasn't uh, the case, but, um, you know, if someone has neuropathic pain, so if you have sciatica, you know, you're probably going to respond a little bit better to THC. Whereas say if you have like arthritis or some type of repetitive injury, like you work in a factory or something like that, you know, CBD is going to be better because it decreases inflammation. Whereas THC kind of blocks the, the signal that tells your brain that you're in pain. So that's why it can be so effective for neuropathic pain. The other thing too is when when it comes to sleep, THC is much, much better than CBD for, 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 for helping nightmares. So CBD, so THC can really help reduce nightmares. It's a huge, uh, it's a huge lifesaver for, for first responders and anyone who has PTSD. Wow. So very important that we don't demonize THC yeah. because uh, THC is also, uh, is also uh, a medicine. Yeah. It's a marketing effort. I keep saying I'm in branding. Um, but in actuality, isn't the cannabinoid we need for sleep actually cbn which is like is that even in my cbd like cbn is another cannabinoid out there and you know there has been some some research on it that has shown that it can be effective for sleep um you know recently uh you know i was going um, back and forth on an email thread with with dr ethan russo who's um you know a brilliant guy and you know one of the you know foremost guys on medical cannabis and he actually thinks that you know cbn might be a little bit overhyped for 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 sleep so you know not necessarily um you know but there might be other cannabinoids that come out in the future that that could be you know excellent for sleep and in the meantime i mean thc and cbd have both been shown to be effective for sleep you know both on their own and in combination so you know uh, we do have lots of good treatments for sleep um even without cbn so you're a full spectrum kind of guy, I'm going to guess. Definitely. Good. As we all should be, right? Uh, okay. How do you feel about combustion? 
So smoking versus vaping, basically. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I prefer patients to vape over smoke. Uh, so, you know, comparing, uh, comparing um, you know, cannabis smoke to, merit to, to tobacco smoke is completely different. You know, there's obviously significantly uh, more carcinogens in, in tobacco smoke than there are in, in cannabis smoke. Um, but at the same time, you know, there are some studies that have shown that if you vape over, over, uh, over smoking, you're much less likely to contract an upper respiratory tract infection, so you're less likely to get the common cold. And then there's just anecdotal evidence, you know, I've heard from other people that that, you know, when, when they when they smoke, they find that their their performance, their cardiovascular performance is good versus when they switch over to vaping. So, you know, in my opinion, you know, vaping is, is definitely the way to go over over smoking. And then also, too, we should really touch on, you know, this recent, you know, vaping scare, these mysterious illnesses. So, you know, these were all cartridges that were sent over from China. You know, we have no idea what the what, what's in them, what the contaminants are. Like, if you're someone and you have a good vaporizer, or good trusted device, and you also have, you know, good medical cannabis product, you're not going to get one of these mysterious vaping illnesses. It is absolutely completely safe to vape, and you should not uh, have any hesitation about vaping. And don't worry about these, uh, the, these, these mysterious vaping illnesses, because that's only coming from faulty cartridges from China that are contaminated with things. It's not from good good uh, medical devices and good medical cannabis. But we should ideally vape fresh like bud, like pure flower, right? Because, I mean, there has not been a vape that doesn't make me like cough and phlegm and I don't I mean I'm sure I don't have the stuff from China yeah I mean that that's a good point so you know one thing that people always believe is that you know if I cough when I'm smoking I won't cough when I'm vaping you know sometimes people do do cough when they vape so it is something to kind of like it's more the keep, phlegm, keep in mind which for me like not to get TMI but like for me that's my body sign of like there's something in here that you're allergic to right and a pure flower that you don't get that feeling ever that's good ever but i'm a pure kind of plant kind of girl so that's sort of my next question talk to me about plant medicine we were talking about other we we're talking about ketamine I, I don't even know about ketamine is that a plant i don't know but you know shrooms are obviously sort of on the horizon in terms of um, hopefully being legalized in terms of a, in a medicinal capacity and you know we're talking about other hallucinogenics so what are your thoughts on that so I think that uh, one positive that's come about from cannabis is that it's opened up the door to some other medicines so you know I certainly can't say this for sure but you know I, I would doubt that if, if cannabis had not been legalized that we wouldn't see you know the legalization of uh, of psilocybin um, in 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 some places in the United States and the interest in psilocybin, I think that the fact that uh, cannabis is legal has really opened up um, has really opened up that door, and we do have some research you know indicating that psilocybin can in fact uh, be effective for you know various different uh, mental illnesses. And actually, something I only found out uh, recently, and I put up on my my Instagram and Twitter, is that uh, there was actually shown that psilocybin may actually be effective for aging. So one of the things that's been linked to aging is shortened telomeres. If you're someone who who really is um, 
who really does a lot of research on aging. So that's the thing that's been uh, it's been associated with aging, um, and it's been shown that psilocybin may in fact uh, hinder that that progression. Meaning that if people who who use psilocybin, or it's been shown in studies anyway that if you use psilocybin, you may in fact reduce your telomere being being uh, shortened, and then because your telomere will be longer you'll be able to live longer so that's very interesting also interesting too uh, from the same authors of the same study is they found that um, a shortened telomere is actually linked to poor mental health so you know we thought that short telomeres are only linked to, um, to to aging but short telomeres are also linked to poor mental health and we do have you know some some evidence and anecdotal reports that people who use psilocybin do have an improvement overall in their mental health so it's going to be very exciting to see you know what happens in the future uh, and i hope that you know one day in the future i can i can prescribe psilocybin to people who you know maybe are not responding that well to to cannabis word to pachamama okay so how, how about this is the fa- okay so shrooms don't get me high like if I microdose, I need to nap all the time. And the other day, the other weekend, I did three grams in the woods and nothing really happened. Like I saw cool visuals. That was it. Is that because that's not my medicine? I don't know. I don't know the answer you know to, I mean? like to that question. I think I'm trying to dig out if, because we're human, like we're animals. Like you're sitting behind, I think it's because you're sitting behind this beautiful painting of a forest or photograph of a forest and I just believe that as animals we're sort of connected to the earth in a way that we've become extremely separated and removed from and that maybe there is an an intuition happening on a level we're not even aware of in our sort of inclinations towards certain plants versus other plants or well, certain medicines, I should say. Sure, I mean, um, you know, there's there's definitely some some validity to what what you're saying because you know if you look at I'm for, also high. <laughs> for example, like uh, like uh, ayahuasca, for example, you know, if you look at that and, and, the, and the history there, you know, how did they discover that you know if you mix these these two plants that you know you'll get this medicine? You know, somehow they they discovered you know that you need an MAOI inhibitor you know to activate the medicine medicine in that plant so you know I understand that there may be some you know uh, intuition and things like that but you know just coming back to 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 the the psilocybin I mean for me I would want again you know some some robust randomized control trials some uh, some some epidemiological studies you know something that would indicate that you know this is safe for my patient and that it will work for them Um, so you know hopefully uh, with because you know cannabis is legalized you know hopefully uh, we'll be able to to get more research onto some other plants like psilocybin in the future. It's happening, isn't it? It's definitely, uh, there's definitely more of an interest right now. There's already- In the States, there's, right? Yeah, there's already, you know, I think it's Oakland um, has uh, has it legalized already. Um, and I think there's other places that are looking as well. I know Denver ha- has it legalized. So I think that, yeah, we'll, we, we may see, you know, a rapid progression in uh, in the research on psilocybin, and then hopefully that'll translate into rapid progression on on treating patients clinically. So what did, what was the ketamine drug? Uh, so so uh, some people do uh, group ketamine into uh, that that group of drugs, which is completely incorrect. So um, you know psilocybin is is a psychedelic. 
um, whereas ketamine is not a psychedelic. Ketamine is an anesthetic. Ketamine is used in in emer in in, uh, in emergency rooms and it's used in, uh, in, the, in on the OR. So you know that's where ketamine is used. Um, what they found in research is that people who use ketamine um, find that they can come off of their opioids and they find that it's really effective for pain and it's effective for for depression. So you know I do have some patients in my my practice who you know despite the fact that you know we gave them lots of of, of cannabis and lifestyle uh, treatments you know they, they they were still struggling with pain or still struggling with depression so as i stated earlier you know i'm a family doctor cannabis is just one tool in my toolbox you know i do have other tools you know i use ketamine for some of my patients uh they responded really really well and because they responded so well i had some researchers uh, reach out to me and and we got a few case studies published and you know i hope to get a few more of those published in, in the future. Amazing. Okay, I got to read up on that. I don't know anything about it except that it's a horse tranquilizer, right? It has been used, yeah. yes. Yes. Do you, anecdotally, because I know you can't really tell me, but uh, anecdotally, do you find that women are more inclined or more responsive towards cannabis medicine than men are we potential like the reason i ask is i taped <clears throat> with your friend recently okay. carlin costa yeah and in a recent uh chat she told me that the less estrogen you have the more thc you need okay something like that and i started i would that really kind of it it piqued the interest of me and our listeners because as women, and this is a female flower, I'm just wondering if maybe there's something going on here. And then, of course, I'm thinking of my friend who greened out, who was obviously a guy. Are, are potentially we more, I don't know. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying you're, you're incorrect. I just haven't come across that in my research. So it's like 50-50 with your patients and stuff. It's in, usually down the line. In terms of? Of just people using it, responding to it. Um. Yeah, I wouldn't say that I've seen, you know, more of a response to, you know, one one kind of gender than okay. th than the other overall. Okay. Um, I would say that in in general, you know, um, like females might be a little bit more uh, accepting of the medicine or willing to kind of try it um, than, than say men sometimes. But in terms of like clinical response, um, I. I, I definitely can't say that I've noticed that, you know, men or women respond differently in any okay. type of way. Yeah. Okay. Last or two more questions. Pregnancy and cannabis. I know I probably, I mean, perhaps you can't go on the record for these things, but I also know that there are a few interesting studies from other countries out there in the world that actually talk about the benefits of it. And I've had some questions on it. So, you know, as far as I've seen in the literature, you know, THC is not something that you should be using during, during pregnancy or, or during breastfeeding. Um, you know, that, that being said, um, you know, is CBD something that can be used during that time? You know, I, I prescribe CBD to patients during that time and they've done very, very well with it. And the other thing that 
that they uh, that helps during that time is that a lot of those patients they're really stressed during that time and they they're still they're still dealing with you know other injuries or other ailments that they have you know not just the pregnancy so meaning that they may have been taking a narcotic or they may have been taking several NSAIDs you know prior to the pregnancy to to treat their condition and CBD is something that they can use during that time to uh, to negate you know a lot of the uh, teratogenic effects that would come onto the fetus if they had kept using those medicines. So I think that if you can you know get some patients off of you know harmful you know medicines that we know can really harm a baby uh, with the use of CBD, then it can be really effective for that patient population. What about like an extreme hyperemesis, like vomiting situation? Is that and, still just a CBD case? Well, in any situation in medicine, you always have to look at the risks and, and the benefits, right? So, you know, there was risks for me, you know, driving here today. There's yeah. risks if I, you know, walk across the street. So anytime you're giving a medicine, there's always going to be risks and benefits and you have to weigh those out. And in some instances, there may be a case or there may be an instance where, you know, using THC would be more that the it would be more beneficial than than the harms so the benefits would outweigh the harms so in those situations yes but in general as a rule you know don't use thc during pregnancy got it okay what is the thing you've seen i mean you tweet a lot you're yep. like one of my favorite tweeters awesome thank uh -huh. you so much tell that to our listeners i love a tweeter i love a good tweeter um, we'll tell them where to find you at the end, but you, what's one of the most sort of surprising or exciting things that you've sort of come across recently in, in, in terms of medical the world. Yeah. And medical you can give, yeah. It doesn't have to be about even cannabis, but like uh, it should be probably. Sure. <laughs> um, right now, you know, the thing that I'm really kind of most, most interested in cannabis is the other cannabinoids. You know, I know we didn't really touch on it here too much today. You know, we talked a little bit about CBN and, you know, I kind of said how that might be slightly overhyped for sleep. Um, but, you know, I'm really excited about the other cannabinoids. So meaning that, you know, four or five years ago, almost nobody knew what CBD was. And now, you know, CBD has so many different indications. You know, it's so widely available everywhere and so many people have, have benefit from it. But, you know, there's over 100 cannabinoids in, in cannabis. So, you know, I'm really excited about the research for the new cannabinoids that are coming out. You know, I've talked a lot about this before, but I almost... You know, hesitate talking about it because it's not commercially available but there's one cannabinoid called thcv and the reason why i'm so interested in this cannabinoid is because it can help reduce appetite and it can help with with insulin sensitivity it's been shown in in randomized control trials at least one anyway to help with type 2 diabetics so we know that you know it can help reduce appetite and and we know that it can help with insulin sensitivity so you know that that's a huge cannabinoid that i think is going to come out down the line because you know so many people are struggling uh with being overweight these days i get that question a lot how to get the munchies or how to not. Um, okay, last last question, then we're done. Favorite strain? Favorite strain? Or cultivar, I should say. Favorite cultivar? Favorite cultivar. Uh, I would say Avidecal. What? Explain her. Is it? Avidecal is a CBD uh, strain. Okay. And it has a little bit of, of myrcene in it. I shouldn't say a little bit. It's predominantly myrcene. I was going to ask you if terpenes are... Yeah, terpenes are... Are they are, 
efficacious. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's why, you know, I, I, I counsel patients, like if you want to use CBD at night, you know, like after a workout, then, you know, using uh, CBD with a little bit of mercine is perfect because, you know, it really helps decrease the inflammation, uh, help, helps you just feel really chill. And then also, too, you have the mercine in there and just kind of sedate you even a little bit more. So, you know, to me, that's just, you know, a perfect kind of post-workout in the evening thing. Diggity, diggity. I'll have to try that one. Okay, Dr. Mike Hart, this has been a pleasure. Fast and furious, as it is, because she was late, noon standard time. Can you please tell our people where to find you on all the things? Sure. So uh, you can go to my website. It's MikeHartMD.com. Uh, I do have a couple free eBooks there that you can check out. Uh, I'm on social media. So I'm on uh, Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn. And my handle is at Dr. Mike Hart. So that's D-R-M-I-K-E-H-A-R-T. Amazing. Thank you. This has been a pleasure. Was it good for you? It was awesome. Thank okay, you so good. much. Thank you. This has been a wealth of knowledge. You are amazing. Great energy. Thank you for bringing it to the world. I hope we can talk again because I'm sure we're going to have a ton of questions from the people out of this. But this is already round two. So <laughs> anyway, thank you for listening today. We are happy and healthy at High Tea Life. Thanks for listening. Check us out on Insta at hightea.life. Like us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and all the other things. Join our invite list and holla at your girl by visiting hightea.life.